This is America on the Road, named best radio show by the International Automotive Media Conference, and now in its 30th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. The Los Angeles Auto Show is finishing up its run this Thanksgiving weekend, and we'll bring you the most important news from that international show. And we'll also wish you a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, I hope you had one. A Hyundai, Honda, Kia, and Lucid showed very interesting vehicles in Los Angeles. We'll give you de the details on that. And there is drama at General Motors as the two top executives of the company's cruise self-driving effort exit the company in the wake of safety issues that are dogging it. Wow, big time drama. America on the Road is brought to you by drivingtoday.com, yourtestdriver.com, emlancy.com, the publisher of my latest book, Dance in the Dark, and of course, Mercury Insurance. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at drivingtoday.com slash autoinsurance. That's drivingtoday.com slash auto hyphen insurance. Hi, I'm Jack Red. With me is co-host Chris Teague. Back with us after a week uh, off as we were uh, talking with Matt Lorenzo about what was going on at the Los Angeles Auto Show last week. As you longtime listeners know, Chris lives at one end of the country. I live at the other. Each week we get together to talk about cars, the car industry, how you can save some money on your automotive purchases, and we review a couple of vehicles. Chris, you have a, a very cool vehicle to talk about this week. Uh, what What is it? Yeah, you know me as the uh, Toyota geek here, so I was very excited to see the brand new uh, 2024 Prius Hybrid show up. I'm uh, very excited to tell you all about it. I really enjoyed my time. It's uh, you know very likely to become the North American Car of the Year. I think it's maybe the odds-on favorite, and uh, certainly it was named Motor Trend Car of the Year. So. Uh, for good reason. So we'll see what happens on that. We'll know the answer to that on January 4th or thereabouts uh, on North American Car of the Year. I'll be road testing another Toyota and one that makes me just remember why I love driving so much. <laughs> it is the Toyota GR Corolla Maurizio. It's a sports sedan and it's just a blast to drive. I, I, hard to th believe that one could have so much fun in a Corolla, right, Chris? <laughs> Yeah, it's the white whale that I can't seem to find at MSRP, or I would have purchased one a long time ago. <laughs> what, a, what a super cool car it is. This week, our special guest is Steve Center, who is the Chief Operating Officer of Kia America. We had the opportunity to sit down with him to discuss the many challenges and opportunities the brand is facing, all brands are facing really right now, as the market landscape continues to shift. Boy, a lot of shifts. It's great for us talking about the industry, but I don't know if it's great for somebody who's managing in the industry. But Steve is one of the smartest guys in the car industry. I've known him for years and years and years. We work together, and uh, it'll be interesting, I think, for you to hear what he has to say. Uh, let's dive into the news, though, from uh, the Los Angeles Auto Show. And I, I think the biggest introduction there uh, was the Lucid Gravity SUV. Chris is nod nodding along. I mean, the fact that you can have an SUV like this, and, you know, pretty much a, well, a, a large SUV, certainly a, a good-sized good uh, five-passenger SUV, with a range in, in excess of 440 miles for something like $80,000 base price. I mean, they're really getting there, aren't they? I mean, uh, what's your take on that? They are, and I have to give them credit, Jack, for shaving some of the MSRP off of the Air sedan. If you recall, when it debuted, it was you know six figures deep into the six-figure range, and so for them to get this down to 80 grand to start, you know, I guess we should applaud them for that. At the same time, I'm a little sad that we're still seeing 
80, 90, $100,000 EVs popping out instead of 30, 40, $50,000 EVs. So, uh, but it is very, very impressive. Yeah. And I misspoke a little bit because it's really a three row SUV. It can be configured as a, as a two row five passenger, but I think most, um, virtually all of them will be three row SUVs, seven passenger. That becomes a, a fairly straight up substitute for a gasoline powered midsize, I think. And a luxury model, I think there's so much cool about the styling. You know, they're really inventive at Lucid. I really think they've, they've got maybe a tiger by the tail here. Uh, thoughts? Yeah, they have done a good job translating the styling from the sedan to the SUV. It's very sleek looking. I think, as you mentioned, they'll probably be able to grab quite a few, you know, Range Rover, Cadillac Escalade, uh, you know, Mercedes G-Wagon buyers. It's got the right range. It's got the right power. It's ferociously quick. So, uh, you know, I don't haven't driven the air yet, but I, I hope I'd be able to drive one of these. They certainly look look great to to get behind the wheel. Yeah, I mean, I was at the uh, the introductory press conference at the Los Angeles show, and the things they talked about, particularly the uh, electric powertrain and how they're able to squeeze more power and uh, more range. I think uh, probably more range is more important than more power uh, out of it, and uh, you know, lighten the vehicle. It's significantly lighter. I think they have kind of miniaturized powertrain here. I think that's fascinating. Uh, 800-volt system, just super cool stuff. Yeah, the tech is there certainly to, to push the price tag. So uh, they may, may actually be justified in charging that. And, and to be fair to them, 80 grand is not that much for uh, a luxury SUV of that caliber. Yeah, absolutely true. 80 grand for a luxury SUV. Uh, even a gasoline-powered luxury SUV uh, could be 80 grand from a, from a major luxury manufacturer so another vehicle and i i predict you probably like this vehicle too chris that they they showed kind of on a surprise basis there was the honda prelude concept what what's your take on that that it made its north american debut uh hybrid electric that was in los angeles uh, your thoughts on that i think it looks great uh you know there are some things it doesn't to my eye look like a prelude like when i look at it it doesn't make me think prelude uh having been a fan of those cars for for many years. But, you know, look, if they bring it to production, Jack, I think this is a super exciting time. And we've talked about this too. The electrification move opens up a bunch of doors for automakers to do neat things like this. And uh, I would love to see them make a small sporty car like this and bring it here and, and have it have it on the street. Yeah. I mean, a two-door coupe, um, not something that's necessarily the hottest vehicle type in the marketplace, but maybe this vehicle can kind of tart that up a little bit, get, get people excited about that kind of configuration, because it, it should, should be so much fun to drive. I'm really anticipating this. This is going to be a very cool car to drive. Yeah, and Honda's really nailed that front-wheel drive performance feel, you know, in the, the Civic, the Integra, the, the list is very long cars that they've made. They're excellent to drive. So um, I'd really, really hope they bring it out. Then we saw a, a new uh, Hyundai Santa Fe, the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe, uh, also in Los Angeles. I think just overall, you know, a strong player in a, an important segment uh, is how I would sum that up. I mean, nothing revolutionary about it, but I think, you know, this is a big segment. Uh, a lot of people want a, want a vehicle like this, and I, I think they kind of nailed it in terms of features and styling. Yeah, I think they're going to stand out with style. I mean, if you take a look at that that SUV, it's a it's a complete departure from the year before it, and it looks fantastic. I think it's really going to be the eye catcher for for a lot of buyers, and the warranty, and as you mentioned, the value is there too. So, uh, they they hopefully have another winner on their hands. Yeah. Longer wheelbase, third row seating, you know, more spacious, all of those things that Americans love, right? <laughs> a uh, turbocharged uh, powertrain, 277 horsepower, 
hybrid available. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, Hyundai is really pr proving to do hybrids quite well as well. I'm driving a Tucson hybrid uh, this week, and I'll, pro I'll probably report on it next week. But as a preview, I'm liking that vehicle a lot. So I, I have a feeling this uh, Santa Fe is going to be a, a fun vehicle to drive in that genre, at least. I think so. You know, Toyota does a really good job with hybrids, and we talk about them a lot. But Hyundai and Kia have also done a lot of work, and it's very refined. So, uh, yeah, again, it should be should be just just fine to drive. <laughs> yeah. Well, in non-product news, I think maybe, and it could be the, the biggest announcement at the whole auto show, is the fact that Hyundai is planning to sell its vehicles through Amazon in 2024, you know, a couple of months from now, actually. People talk about buying cars just like buying from Amazon uh, and offering that you know, kind of digital experience through a dealer, but it's kind of a different way of going about it. You'll, you'll still pick up your vehicle. You'll be buying your vehicle from a dealer, uh, but that will be maybe largely invisible to you as you go through the Amazon experience. And uh, I bet... Uh, this is something that probably resonates with you, huh? It does, Jack. But, you know, you can already do a lot of this on some dealers' websites. You can go all the way through the purchase process without ever getting on to – stepping on foot, on foot under the dealer's lot. So, I mean, I think, you know, are they going to draw in more leads or more vehicle sales through Amazon? Maybe. I mean, certainly Amazon's a huge platform. So – uh, but I think for the dealer, I don't know what a, how a dealer would feel about this and where, other than delivery and service, uh, what their role is. Do they still get the same incentives? Do they get the manufacturer's rebates, all those things. So there are a lot of questions I'd have, and I haven't had time to dig into it enough to really understand it fully. Yeah, I think they have to make the dealer whole here, or the dealers would revolt and, and not participate in that. So I, I don't think the dealer is going to suffer in terms of, of margin. What they will suffer is the ability to deal. And maybe the ability for some of that uh, F and I stuff, the finance and, and insurance stuff that comes in the in the secondary sale, and maybe they'll not do as well there, or maybe they'll do better because in some instances people upsell themselves when they're buying this stuff online when they're not being pressured in a in a back office somewhere. Yeah, the last vehicle I purchased, uh, I did all all the way online, and at the end of the finance application, they present you with some very tempting offers that are <laughs> they're hard to pass up. So I could see how that they might end up being just fine. But uh, again, I would I I really want to see how this plays out. I think from a dealer's perspective, it's just one step away from them having control over the sales process. So we'll have to see. Right. Well, Kia introduced some, or actually showed uh, the EV3 and EV4 that we talked about on the show, I think a couple of weeks ago, maybe three weeks or so ago. So those were there and a new or renewed Sorento. So those, I think, were the highlights from the Los Angeles Auto Show. And when we come back, we'll have two Toyota vehicles to highlight. So stay with us for the road test of both the Toyota Prius and the Toyota Corolla, a GR Corolla. Uh, super cool. So stay with us for that and we'll be right back right after this. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Christine Jackie. Right back with you. Thanks so much for being with us. We do appreciate it. And if you like the show, please pass it along to somebody who else who might like America on the Road, might like to hear two guys talking about cars on the radio or in your earphones, depending on how you get the show. Uh, it's available multiple ways. And one of the things we love to do on this show is road test vehicles. And we've got some very cool Toyotas this time around. Uh, apparently two Toyota uh, day for us on America on the Road. And 
You were driving the Toyota Prius. Tell us about it. I was driving the Prius. And before anyone kind of rolls their eyes, I have to say the new Prius is a completely different car than it was just a few years ago. Um, but taking a step back, you can get into this car, Jack. The base trim of this car is just around $27,000. That's a, a hybrid that gets you like 57 MPG combined for around 27 grand. My limited test car without all-wheel drive was around $36,000. You add, you know, I think it's like $1,500 or something like that to get all-wheel drive. Um, to any trim. But uh, taking another step back, this car has got a hybrid powertrain, a two liter four cylinder engine, 150 horsepower. I'm sorry, 194 horsepower without all wheel drive, 196 with it, 139 pound feet of torque. Uh, Jack, those are not impressive specs on paper, but I want to get your feeling about it before I give my my driving impressions here. They they completely uh, shattered expectations. What do you think about it? Yeah, what uh, the horsepower figures don't tell you here is how quickly the torque comes on, and thus the I think it feels much better than uh, more responsive than a car with that kind of horsepower otherwise would feel. I, I think uh, it's a terrific, it's not a sports sedan, but it's darn close these days, I think. It is, it's got, like you mentioned, the the instant torque from the electric motor, it does help it. It makes it feel a lot more energetic, especially in traffic when you're kind of darting in and out of between cars, uh, probably a lot more in Los Angeles than here in Maine, but uh, still, you know, very competent car. At the same time, Jack, it handles well and it has a nice ride quality too. So, you know, you can take your kids in the car and you're not gonna bump them around and wake them up from naps and things like that. Uh, so Toyota nailed the balance and I think the performance here, even though it's not a performance car, it's got just enough engagement to make it feel like you're actually driving a car instead of floating in a calculator, uh, as some of the older ones did, even though they were great on fuel economy and things. So, um, this car gets 57 MPG city, 56 highway, 57 combined with front wheel drive in the lowest trim level. That's the most efficient trim level. The limited model that I drove achieved 52 MPG across the board, so city combined and highway, which is spectacular. And I did see that number pop up in the dash, so I think Toyota is right on the mark with its estimates there. Inside, you get five seats. And, Jack, this interior really impressed me. I wasn't in love with the previous Prius interiors. It was a little too futuristic looking, a little too angular for me. Uh, this one's still got quite a bit going on, but what do you think about the new Prius cabin? I think the new Prius cabin is a lot better. I would love to see a speedometer right in front of me. <laughs> you know, I kind of like that. So I don't know that this is progress, but otherwise I, I think it's really a good a good interior these days. It's a nice interior. The cloth upholstery is standard. Uh, synthetic leather came with my uh, limited test trim. You get heated and ventilated seats at that top trim and a heated steering wheel also with heated rear seats. Uh, there's good room in the front seats here, Jack. My kids have plenty of room in the back seat. I, as a six foot tall adult, would probably not be the most happy to ride in the back of this car just because of the way the roof is shaped. It's got a little bit less headroom than expected. Um, but as you mentioned, the gauge cluster here is my big letdown of the, the interior of this car. It's more of like a, it's a very small display and the way that my seat needed to be adjusted, the steering wheel cut right across the middle of the gauge cluster, obscuring the speed limit or the speed uh, speedometer and the head safety information and everything else. So uh, to me, like you said, I would like to see a more traditional gauge cluster here or uh, a more prominent head up display would probably be helpful too to get it out from behind the steering wheel. But uh, I think Toyota wants you to use this display as a, as a head up display, but uh, it really didn't work for me. So I think, you know, maybe it's just my my body style or whatever. But uh, in any case, it comes standard with an 8-inch touchscreen, a 7-inch digital gauge cluster. Uh, the limited car steps up to a 12.3-inch touchscreen. You get wireless Apple CarPlay, wireless Android Auto, 
And Toyota's infotainment system is 1,000% better than it was just a couple of years ago. I used to come on the air and spend five minutes complaining about how clunky it was and how hard it was to navigate, but that has completely changed now. It's one of the easier-to-use systems uh, on the market, and it's it works well on the screen. It's very responsive, um, very easy to see. So uh, you also get a full suite of safety features here, Jack, you know, blind spot monitoring, rear cross-traffic alerts, and the higher trims. Uh, and all in all, I think Toyota really knocked it out of the park. Uh, you can get a more expensive Prime model with a plug-in hybrid powertrain, but I think the real sweet spot here is the standard hybrid. Uh, you get a better value, and you still get great fuel economy for uh, for what you pay. Yeah, I mean, the fuel economy is through the roof. I mean, go figure you're going to have that kind of fuel economy, and I think it really exists. I don't think it's just a, you know, a number on a, on a Monroney sticker somewhere. I think you can achieve that, and... Uh, you know, that's kind of a game changer when you have that kind of fuel economy with a, a vehicle that certainly is a full four-passenger car, if not a five-passenger car, and uh, pretty darn comfortable all the way around and kind of, and looks good these days, too. I agree, especially when you're looking at the cost of some EVs and the availability. This is a great stepping stone, so uh, I'm on board with it. Yeah, absolutely one to look at, and it might be North American Car of the Year, uh, perhaps likely. Uh, certainly possible, maybe likely. Uh, we'll leave it at that. And uh, we won't know and for another month or so. But uh, I was driving another Toyota, and who would have thought a Toyota Corolla could get me excited? <laughs> I could get a, a driver excited. Uh, and yet the GR Corolla just is a blast. I mean, it, it's so much fun. Of course, you put 300 horsepower in a, a car the size of a Corolla compact uh, sedan, You've got something right there, but they don't just leave it at that. It's it's more than just a simple hot rod motor switch and that kind of stuff. They do a lot of things. They they kind of ultra lightweight the vehicle. They have turned it into a two seater. They took out the rear seat and there's a package shelf back there. Makes it less useful, I suppose, in a lot of ways, but uh, certainly is a, a blast to drive. In this form, the Marizo form, uh, 300 horsepower, 290 pound feet of torque. Uh, more torque in this this particular version. Even better tires, the Michelin Pilot Sport Cup 2 tires. They've just done a lot of the right things with this vehicle. Uh, forged wheels, uh, they've worked on the chassis a bit. I mean, you've got to love this thing, I, I would think. I do love it, Jack. They've reinforced the chassis with dozens more welds. You get those big uh, crossbars bracing everything. For me, the Marizo is probably not the choice because I need a back seat, but you get a back seat in the other I think the three trims that are available for 2024. And as you say, 300 horsepower and an all-wheel drive hatchback is, is a blast. So, yeah, um, it was just so much fun to drive. I mean, I loved having the, the manual transmission. You get that interaction with the vehicle that you don't get with any kind of automatic, even with a, a dual-clutch uh, automatic where you can kind of zip through the gears. And I, I realize that that's probably faster. That's probably even more high-tech in a lot of ways. But... Uh, there's something great about uh, having a, a stick shift in your right hand and, and going through the gears. And it just, uh, it's transformative. It's, it's not that the uh, base Corolla is not a, a pretty good car these days, but this is <laughs> so much beyond that uh, that it, it's hard to uh, really describe how, uh, how much better it, it is and how much fun it is to drive. Yeah, and I love the all-wheel drive system in this car, the way that you can dial in the uh, power delivery between the front and the rear wheels. It's just such a, an interesting thing. You know, I bought a Golf R kind of wanting that experience, and it just didn't do it for me because you don't get that that granular interaction with the vehicle that you get with the Prius, and it just feels more alive. So uh, Toyota nailed it with that car. Yeah, 
And the stiffening of the chassis, I think, is an important thing in terms of the overall handling. This isn't just a straight line car. This is a car that can take corners, uh, that feels very predictable doing that. As you mentioned, all-wheel drive, but then you have this, you know, much stiffened chassis. It's kind of cool to lightweight the vehicle and also stiffen the chassis. I mean, that's that's what you do to make it into a race car. That's what you do with any car, kind of, to make it into a race car. And they have certainly done it with uh, this particular vehicle, the GR Corolla. So, uh, gotta love the engine. <laughs> Cranking 300 horsepower out of three cylinders is a pretty cool thing to do. They're blowing a lot of air into that thing uh, with the turbochargers. And uh, I think it's uh, just so cool all the way around. Yeah, the Turbo 3 engine, I was a little skeptical of it at first, but it feels buzzy. The car feels almost very alive, like the older cars. You know, you sit in an old car with a V8, you feel it vibrate, you can feel it in the steering wheel. And this car, you feel all those things, too. So uh, it makes the right noises and feels all the right the right ways at the right time. Right. Rev matching out of the uh, transmission kind of helps. Uh, you know, uh, those of us who aren't the super proficient at heel and towing, uh, it's uh, kind of hard to do when you're just driving on the street all the time. You're not going to do that very much. But uh, So we got two real winners, I think, from Toyota here. The uh, Toyota Prius, 2024 Toyota Prius, and uh, the, uh, the GR Corolla. Just blast to drive. So great, great stuff. And when we come back, we're going to be talking with Steve Center, who is the COO of Kia America. He has a lot to say about a lot of things, so stay with us for that interview, and we'll be right back right here on America on the Road. I got this letter from a reader the other day, and I thought I'd share it with you. I'm on vacation on the beach in Key Biscayne and just finished reading Dance in the Dark. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Great plot and twists I never saw coming. You're really good at creating visual images. Congrats, you made my vacation all that more enjoyable. This is just the kind of feedback an author loves to hear. I'm Jack Nerad, host of America on the Road and the author of Dance in the Dark, a crime novel inspired by true crime. Many have told me that Dance in the Dark has all the realism of fatal photographs, my true crime account of the famous bathing suit model murder case. That's great to hear because Dance in the Dark is filled with suspense, plot twists, and surprises. But at the same time, it's a believable story in the tradition of writers like James M. Cain, Jim Thompson, and Elroy Leonard. Dance in the Dark is available in paperback and Kindle ebook form from Amazon.com. And it's available direct from the publisher emlancy.com as well. If you have a chance, please look for it. If it makes your vacation better, we'll both be happy. That's Dance in the Dark by Jack Arnie Red at Amazon.com or emlancy.com. Thanks for giving it a look. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack Arnie with you, and we're at the Los Angeles Auto Show with, I would call him a friend of the program. Certainly, I, I consider him a friend. Steve Center and I have known each other forever and ever. And you are now uh, a big high muckety-muck at Kia Motors here in, uh, in North America. Uh, number one, thanks so much for being with us. Interesting times, right? <laughs> you, you know, may you be born in interesting times is, is the, the old curse, right? And uh, so much going on, so much uh, that involves what you're doing. You're kind of at a ground zero in a lot of things, including electrification. Where do you want to start talking about what's going on in the industry? What, what, what's most interesting to you that we should be speaking about? Well, it's the uh, pressures from the government, the regulators. You've got pressures from the market. You've got pressures from uh, supply chains, uh, economic forces. It, it's really a thrill, and, I, and I'm not being facetious about that. 
you have uh, uh, different parts of the world pushing change at different uh, paces. When I got into this business, there wasn't much of a global automotive business. There was a global automotive industry, but it wasn't global players in that sense. And uh, today you have products coming from all over the world. Uh, and in some cases, the regulations are further ahead in different parts of the world. Some are behind. Um, in the U.S., uh, the government is uh, probably pushing a little faster than the market and the infrastructure and the manufacturers are ready for. But and the consumers probably are ready for, yeah, right? It, I it, mean, depends, it depends where and who and how. That's the thing that's so interesting. I, I think if you ask automakers, uh, none of them are going to tell you that uh, they don't want to go in the direction of electrification. It, it's pretty unanimous that we all feel we want to do this. It's the pace of change that's a little difficult. And then the government, God bless them, they try to help with some more regulations or what they think is uh, um, uh, uh, legislation, and they end up uh, breaking things <laughs> in yeah. the near term. Yeah. Unintended consequences are happening all over the yeah, place. Yeah, I, I say to people, you know, be patient. They're trying to help. Yeah. Well, let's back out a little bit. Certainly, Kia is a, a strong proponent of electrification globally. Your company corporately has a, a pretty ambitious goal of, of electrification going forward. That's representing itself, including a, a North American uh, Utility of the Year finalist uh, that named just today at the Los Angeles Auto Show, the Kia EV9. Uh, talk a little bit about EV9 and, and what that rep represents uh, for your brand. We're very excited about EV9. It, uh, it's our new flagship. Just as Telluride is a flagship for Iceline, EV9 is a flagship for our electrified line. Um, we think it's a game changer. It's uh, in a, a new segment, three-row SUV. Um, comes in um, two-wheel drive, all-wheel drive, over 300 miles range, uh, starts under $55,000. So we think this is going to attract a whole new clientele to Kia and uh, really show how EVs are uh, possible and EVs are practical and EVs are affordable. Yeah, I mean, you're really first to this space, which is great for, uh, for your brand. And there's a lot of volume in that space. I mean, this is a, a family vehicle. We see these three rows as, as important family vehicles. Give our listeners some, some sense of, uh, you know, product benefits from the EV9. Well, it has a 5,000 pound towing capability, which is pretty incredible as well. But uh, it uh, can power your home. We have a demonstration here. Uh, right next door where it has what we call a V to H or a vehicle to home power so it can be used for backup power. You can have power on the go with it. So these are things all above and beyond the mobility aspect of the vehicle. But it's a large vehicle. It's very roomy because it's an EV. It has the flat floor. You have all kinds of uh, leg room. Uh, the vehicle itself has some pretty uh, neat features. One is what we call the relaxation seats. and These are kind of like uh, business class uh, uh, seat lounge chairs uh, in the car, so they're good for long trips. Um, and uh, the uh, uh, overall uh, packaging and the content, it, it's really very exciting to see that you can have all of these comforts in an affordable, large SUV that, uh, that's an EV. And right. the, the first EVs, they were kind of, uh, I call them science projects. <laughs> 
not a science project. This is the real deal. Yeah, yeah, a mainstream vehicle and a, a mainstream ba brand uh, from Kia. You showed a couple concepts, I think probably even more affordable uh, EV concepts, uh, right at the show today, moments ago. Uh, tell us about those. Uh, well, we uh, showed the EV3, which is a uh, small entry SUV EV, and the EV4, which is a passenger car sedanish, I'll call it, um, EV. And uh, these are design or styling direction concepts, and we're here to get reaction to them. But clearly, just as we have a line of internal combustion models, we're going to have to have a line of uh, EVs. And the segments are the same. If people are the same, it's just different power trends. Yeah, their, their needs are the same, actually, right? right? So uh, they would need similar, similar kind of capabilities from these vehicles. Uh, and that, I guess that's a conundrum, right? When you ha are kind of have to double up in a way, you have the dedicated battery electric EVs in, in each of the segments, and then you can't turn your back on conventional vehicles and hybridization for that matter. No. Yeah, talk about that, that whole thing. The dynamics of that. So, if you think about it from a, a business case standpoint, it's good. It's good for us. It's good for our dealers because they're going to, going to have two lines of cars. But the uh, pace of electrification will occur differently in different geographies. So we basically have both bases covered. Uh, in Kia's case, uh, uniquely, it's not cannibalizing. So this is a net add. So we're adding a whole line of EVs. And uh, that's all plus business. So if we're selling just short of 800,000 cars a year now, we're going to be selling more, and it's because of the net addition yeah. of the EVs. Talk a, a little bit. I, you know, I see it as a, maybe a challenge at, at, at best to be selling EVs that command a premium versus a conventional vehicle of the same size and, and capability, right? That's got to be important to the Kia buyer much more so than luxury brands. We on the show have talked about the EVs largely being the pro province of luxury car buyers and lux yeah. the luxury market now. How do you break into and, and make the case to the consumer that they should buy an EV versus a, a conventional vehicle? That's a, a, a great question and I think that the answer is in the uh, um, small V that we have to show them good, good value in the products. Because it, it's very easy to sell something expensive to very wealthy people. Um, but that's the very thin air at the higher altitudes. We are a, a general market brand, so we've got to be more uh, conscientious about the value that we deliver. So we work very hard um, to provide that in the cars. Uh, we're working very hard to get to scale so we can provide these cars at a more affordable price range. And we think we're doing that with EV9. Uh, if you think about it also, there is some offset for consumers. So if you're considering a conventionally powered car to an EV, uh, the uh, cost per mile is less with an electric car. The maintenance is likely to be less. So perhaps the premium you pay for an EV isn't as premium as it as it seems. Yeah, I mean, do you think you could get across to consumers cost, cost to own analysis? Because really, when you look yeah. at that, EV is more compelling, a lot more compelling than Absolutely. it is on a, on a basis of 
I'm, I'm looking at this MSRP versus that MSRP, and uh, you, know, you kind of have sticker shock there. Yeah. That's an education thing, isn't it? Um, for sure. I think if you uh, consider how you acquire a car, it comes down to monthly payment for most of us working people. But you have other monthly p payments or expenses associated with the car. So uh, if you figure um, your fuel expense, depending on your driving habits, that's an offset. Uh, their maintenance expense that's associated with that. Um, on the, I call it the ultimate user, people that are in the ride-hailing business, um, Uber drivers, Lyft drivers, they're all over EVs because they're uh, at an extreme level of use of an internal combustion car. So they've got heavy maintenance and fuel expenses. So consumers are smart. At first, it may seem like it's a lot more money. In the end, it may still be some more money right now. In the longer term, perhaps not as technology comes around and scale is reached. But um, consumers take all of that into account. And when uh, a family goes to buy a car, they're looking at everything. Yeah. I think those of us in the industry, and those of us kind of have experienced plug-in hybrids, like them a lot. I think maybe the consumer is starting to catch on mm -hmm. uh, more and more. The regulators certainly haven't, <laughs> and uh, you know, maybe never will go there. Talk about that. Yeah, that's an interesting thing, and I could probably fill up the rest of your annual broadcast <laughs> with my opinion on that, but uh, they mean well. <laughs> I'll, right. I'll always say that. But uh, their assumption is with a PHAVA, people won't plug them in. But the reality is you're paying a little extra for that car, and you're not going to do that unless you're going to plug it in. So they're not giving people enough credit. And the reality is it, it gives you, for most people's driving habits, an EV without the uh, infrastructure anxiety. It's a great solution, I think. And, uh, well, I think we could talk for uh, hours and hours. Thanks so much for, for being with us. We do appreciate it. Steve Center, you are COO, I believe, COO. of Kia Motors America. Thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me and anytime. And uh, stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with right here on America on the Road. We do appreciate it. And uh, it has come to the time when we answer some listener questions. And this is a question that I think is going to prompt a, a lengthy discussion, perhaps, because it's about self-driving cars overall and uh, what's going on with GM and Cruise, uh, maybe more specifically. It's uh, from Steve in Raleigh, North Carolina. And he's asking about that whole issue. You know, he says... Uh, with AI being so important these days and, and so good, why is it that we can't come up with self-driving cars? And, and what is the problem with uh, General Motors and, and crews going forward? Uh, so um, what, do you, what do you think that, uh, take number one first. I mean, certainly we see AI making uh, leaps and bounds. A lot of people just using it in their everyday lives to do this, that, and the other thing. And yet, getting it to drive a car seems pretty difficult, doesn't it, Chris? Well, even so, take a look at one of the other companies that is now in flux is OpenAI, one of the most advanced uh, artificial intelligence companies in the world, still struggles to generate a, a an AI chat bot that doesn't veer off into half-truths and offensive things, you know, every once in a while. So if you take <laughs> right. that and apply it to the physical world, you know, you have 
other people driving vehicles that are completely unpredictable, people walking in the street, animals, all sorts of things. So uh, there are technologically many, many steps between today and anything closely, even slightly resembling an autonomous vehicle, uh, like for real, not just in testing. Yeah, I think what this shows is how complex the task of driving is, right? Or you can infer it from how difficult it is to make this happen. And when you stop and think about it, it's sensible that it is very complex. I mean, think what you do just when you pull up to a four-way stop, uh, you know, a simple four-way stop on two two-lane roads crossing one another. I mean, I can see machines not getting through that at all, right? I mean, you go first. No, you go. Is that, is that car moving? Is it not? You know, but we make that judgment. You know, sometimes a horn blows or somebody gets pissed off, but ju- judgment happens, and and most often they don't run into each other. And that's just one uh, kind of uh, situation. I mean, think of weather. Think of those things. I think of what you deal with in Maine, for example. Yeah, you know, I think <laughs> snowy weather is hard enough for people with experience to drive in, you know, much less a, a, I would call it a robot, even though that's not really what it is. But the thing that interests me here is, you know, even before some of the accidents, which we can talk about in just a minute, it's cruise taxis uh, in San Francisco would experience a small difficulty, running into a curb, crossing a, a line or something. And rather than a person that would compensate and then correct and move on and go on about their day, the machine freezes and then requires human intervent- human intervention uh, to get it working again. At that point, you have half the other drivers on the road honking at you. Um, so, you know, I think that this is, I'm not going to call it crisis resolution, but maybe um, incident response or whatever within the programming of these things uh, needs a little bit more work, it seems like. Yeah. I mean, a situation like uh, Blue Cruise or those kind of things where they're kind of semi-autonomous driving in certain situations, that kind of makes sense. And especially on divided highways, you know, you're going at maybe fairly high speed, but Really, those are very safe kind of situations. You don't have cars typically coming at you. There's a, a great deal of distance between your lane and the lane going, uh, the lanes going in the opposite direction, that kind of thing. I mean, it, it kind of, it is sensible to believe that we can have that going on and, and that be fairly safe while kind of door-to-door self-driving out of your garage and down to the corner market and then to work and and to the restaurant at lunch, those things are much harder, aren't they? They are. And, you know, as we're talking about this, I've, I'm recalling an article that I read some time ago where, you know, I think part of this, the issue, the challenge for autonomous vehicles and people to trust them is that you have autonomous vehicles interacting with people driving vehicles and there's no uh, communication there. There are technologies that if every single car on the road were to be autonomous, they could communicate with each other and have a relatively complete picture of what the other car is going to do. But uh, it's just so interesting to watch uh, the interaction between human drivers and the uh, artificial and whatever you want to call it, the robo taxi uh, driver, and then and then how they kind of they play out. Yeah, I mean there was I, I guess there's a, a couple ways to do self driving. One of which is a situation you just described. If every vehicle had some kind of locating system on it that would define its total dimensions for every other vehicle on the road, and they were all sensing that. But I think uh, actually recently a move to to make that mandatory going forward has been rescinded. Uh, that they're unlikely to do that, and now we're we're looking at basically seeing and sensing technologies like radar and and cameras to figure out where everything else is. Well, and you can kind of well that ha- is uh, somewhat sensible in that 
you have pedestrians who are, won't have locators on them. You will have, you know, a, a roadside uh, obstructions that won't be identified by stuff. So there has to be some kind of seeing and sensing technology. But this is darn complicated. I mean, really complicated. And it really kind of led to the, the downfall of the chief execs at, at uh, Cruz, both exiting uh, kind of uh, uh, Kyle Vogt, who is the CEO, and Dan uh, Daniel Can, who is uh, a senior executive as well, have exited the company uh, kind of in this this. I guess you could call it a scandal. This is a very, very tough times for this company. Yeah, they just got approval to operate 24-7 in San Francisco like three or four months ago. So it hasn't been that long of a run for them, kind of unfettered running these cars in the city. But, you know, once they, they kind of ran into some of these safety issues, as you mentioned, the state said, oh, let's pump the brakes and pulled back and asked them to stop operating. And then uh, a few days after that, they issued a recall for the vehicles, several of their vehicles. I'm not sure if it was all of them or not. Um, and then, you know, the things, the, the hits just kept on coming for Cruz, I guess. So uh, yeah. I guess after all that, it's not surprising to see that the uh, the executives were either forced out or, or resigned, you know, uh, voluntarily. But um, the fact that it led to this or that we have reached this point, I guess, is, is surprising to me. Yeah, I mean, they quit uh, doing the testing in the United States. But interestingly enough, they're test- continuing to test on roads in, I think, Japan and Dubai. And you wonder, well, <laughs> are the pedestrians and the other drivers in those countries uh, more uh, now vulnerable because of this? Uh, you know, what's happening there? I, uh, it strikes me that if there's a safety issue, you should, and uh, which prompts you to stop testing in a particular country. Maybe you want to stop testing in all the countries. <laughs> what do you think about that? Yeah, I agree. I mean, just because the maybe those other countries haven't placed the same scrutiny on them in terms of safety uh, response and regulations as some of the people in California and the U.S. have, doesn't mean that the people that live that live there are any less you know, physically important or, or have less value as people. So um, I could see that being a smart move for them maybe before they develop other issues in other countries. But uh, I really, from my, from my vantage point right now, Jack, have no idea where this company is going to go from here given – the difficulties that they've had and the amount of money it's probably going to take to to continue, but I'm I'm sure they're not going to shut it down. But yeah, I mean, I just don't this know is a big go. blow, not not just for this company, for Cruise, uh, and Honda is also an investor, but it's basically a General Motors led company. But this is a big big hit to General Motors, who thought maybe they could make fifty billion dollars. I mean, Mary Barra said uh, this could generate maybe $50 billion in revenue by 2030, which is not far off and, you know, kind of maybe keyed into General Motors' uh, predicted results going forward. It's not something that they can just uh, shut down if they think that there is a future here. And I, I wonder if there is or how, how distant that future is. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to imagine that they would invest this amount of money and not look for some features of this technology to implement in with, like you mentioned earlier, Super Cruise and some of their autonomous, semi-autonomous driver assistant features. But, um, you know, it's definitely slowing them down and, and, and definitely is not uh, something that they want to see financially. So, Right. Well, difficult times and... Uh... Things are not always as easy as they seem to be from the outside. Well, uh, tell us about uh, yourtestdriver.com. I bet something cool is going on there. Something cool is about to happen there. Uh, working with one of our sponsors at Auto Tempest, that's a, a vehicle search website, we are going to purchase another uh, project vehicle, this time an older one that is not uh, going to be something that I expect to work every day. We're going to buy a, a Porsche Cayenne Turbo from probably 10 or 11 years ago and do some off-road upfits and some interior electronic upgrades. 
uh, with plenty of photography and maybe even some video. So uh, it should be a lot of fun for the rest of this year and early next. Yeah, well, look for that at yourtestdriver.com. Great stuff there. If you're looking for a Christmas gift for a thriller fan, my book, Dance in the Dark, is uh, available at Amazon in both uh, paperback form and electronic form. I don't know how you give an electronic book as a gift, but I, I imagine you can. Uh, and wouldn't be a bad thing to do. We're so glad you were out there listening to America on the Road. You're the reason we do what we do, and we do appreciate it. We appreciate our Sports Map Radio Network stations that carry America on the Road. They're terrific stations with great programming, and uh, we're, we're proud to be a part of that. And if you like America on the Road, please pass it on. Sign up for our podcast. It's available at all kinds of places, isn't it, Chris? Yes. If you check out the sportsmapradio.com website there, you can find our show on the Saturday morning schedule. We have all of our formatted shows on the big platforms, Apple Music, Spotify, all those you can get from there, as well as a radio version if, you, if you're into that. But uh, it helps us out a lot if you download from one of the platforms and leave us a review, too. Yeah, we'd love that. And uh, we'd love you to join us again next time for another edition of America on the Road. Inner peace, self-respect, emotional fulfillment. Are you finding these worthwhile goals difficult to achieve? Are you looking for success and satisfaction in your job but not finding it? Are you thinking about starting a business but don't know what will set it apart from all the others? You can continue to struggle on your own, or you can unleash the undeniable power of the GR Factor. I'm Jack Arney Red, host of America on the Road. For years, I've found success in business and in my personal life by using the concepts I outline clearly in my book, The GR Factor. Your best self is inside you right now, just waiting to be unleashed. Inspiring all that is the best in you, The GR Factor will guide your journey, elevate your game, recast your relationships, and transform your daily life. If you want to change your life for the better, read The GR Factor. It's available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and at emlancy.com. That's The GR Factor by Jack Arney Red. Thanks for checking it out.